Good morning. My name is Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3 for today's sermon, verses 1 to 12. So if you would turn there with me, that'd be great. Let me start out this morning with a question. Who was the one that pointed you to Jesus? Or that maybe told you about Jesus? When I look back at my life, I can look back at my parents to some degree. They told me some stuff. But the person that really actually pointed me to Jesus was a guy named Tim. He was uh, my camp counselor when I was at camp at the age of 15. And it, it led to me being ready to prepare uh, to accept Christ. And so most of us, if we, especially if you've accepted Christ later in your life, you'd be able to point to maybe one or two key people that pointed you to Jesus. Now the thing about Jesus uh, is most likely you accepted an adult version of Jesus. You know, the Jesus who died on the cross. Not necessarily this Christmas Jesus. Now, as North Americans, we love the idea, idea of baby Jesus. Where he's not intimidating. He's quite innocent. Uh, he's not this person who died horrifically on a cross or takes a whip and drives people out of the temple. He's nice and he's passive. I kind of like kittens. And kittens, as soon as they grow up and become cats, I don't like them anymore. And a lot of people actually treat Jesus in the same way. But we need people to point us to the adult version of Jesus. So who is that for you? Maybe take a moment, share it with a friend if you haven't already. But for the first century Jew, to prepare an entire people for Jesus, God sent John the Baptist. Now, John was to act like a GPS, pointing people and giving directions to prepare for Jesus' coming. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you don't have a GPS, you most likely have directions on your phone. And if you're going somewhere that you don't know, but um, you want get to get to that place, you're going to pop it in, and it's going to give you those directions. And this is John, pointing people so that when Jesus came and started his ministry, it would take off. Let's get into the story here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People came out to him from, Jude from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He wa who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering up wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, a few things we need to keep in mind. One, um, we need to remember that this book, this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, is written to Jewish readers. And when they would read this, uh, as this chapter starts out, with the words, in those days, it's like an alert button saying, prophecy is about to be fulfilled. And so then we get into this reference from Isaiah, basically saying that prophecy is about to be fulfilled and that fulfilling is that this guy is coming who is like Elijah and he's going to be preparing a way for God. Before we get into that, let's look at who is John. So if you've never read the Bible and you open it up and you get into it and you read this part, uh, you're probably like, this is crazy. So you've got this crazy looking guy dressing all funny. Um, he's eating bugs and honey. He's kind of drowning people, uh, talking about repentance and this kingdom that's supposed to be coming near. For the average person who hasn't read the Bible before, you're going to think John is a quack job. It's like you, you turn on that GPS, the one that's supposed to be telling you to go somewhere, and it's just like, repent for the kingdom's coming. It's like, whoa, tone it back. If you've read the Bible before, your, your reaction might be a little different, where you know a few things. You're, you're not so surprised uh, about what you're reading here. You might think that John's kind of like that weird cousin that we all have. Um, and if you don't have that weird cousin, you're possibly that weird cousin. But we're probably, if you've read the Bible before, you're a little more comfortable with this concept. Where this guy is kind of a little out there, talking about Jesus, pointing the way. This seems to be a normal thing. But for the first century Jews, to the ancient ears, when they would have read this, this would have been normal for a prophet. A prophet would go out to a remote area so that they had safety uh, to be able to preach and teach what they wanted. This guy dressed like Elijah, so he dressed like a prophet. And his lifestyle was different. John was a Nazarite, which meant that he lived differently and he ate things that were different. He was set apart, special for God. And so the first century Jews, for the ancient readers, they would read this and they would go, okay, this is normal. This guy's a prophet. Then there is his baptism. And for the Jews, when it comes to, to John's baptism, it would have been very reminiscent of what they already knew. One, they were very familiar with ceremonial washing. Basically, before you would go worship at the temple, the, the ancient version of a church, you would go and often wash in this bath called the mikvah. And it would more so, not really like you're scrubbing, but you'd just walk through it. And this mikvah had to be so much of fresh water, either from a spring, uh, a river, or just rain. And it had to have a certain percentage of that. And you'd go through there. Then you were fit to go worship at the temple. And so for this idea to, you repent, you, you confess your sins, and then you go and basically get the ceremonial washing, this was a common concept. But John takes it a step further. And there's, with John's baptism, there's more of a, of a permanence. 
And there's this other kind of baptism that the Jews would have been familiar with that actually would have been a bit more daunting. See, when a Gentile, someone who wasn't Jew, converted to Judaism, which was actually a lot more intimidating for a man, if you know Judaism and Gentiles, this was a big deal. And after a Gentile would convert to Judaism, they would go through this physical transformation, and then they would get baptized. And they'd be immersed in this water, and it would be this permanent thing that they are done with their old way of life. They are completely committed to this new way of life. And so when John here comes and talks about repentance, and then baptizes them, full immersion... It's in keeping actually in many ways with his core message. And that was he was to prepare a way for God. Making the path straight. When you think straight, think unhindered. And so when John baptized the Jews, it was being to put aside this concept and this idea that you need to go and often wash. If you go mess up, you need to go wash. You need to... If you're no longer ceremonially clean, you need to go wash, and then you're fit to go worship. And this baptism has this permanence to it, and it puts this aside, saying, go away with the rhetoric, go away with the complexities, just go straight to Jesus and be prepared for Jesus. And there's this simplicity that comes with this, and there's a permanence that comes with this, so that when Jesus did start his ministry, people could go straight to them, and this path would already be Blazed where Jesus would then be able to teach and there would be less complications. He was to make a path straight for God to come. And then there is his message. And his message was to make those paths straight, which means unhindered. Why? Because he's setting up Jesus. And this is in fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Let's, I'm going to read it here. Isaiah says this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Actually, in the original it says Yahweh. The Jewish name for God. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He's setting up God to come. The message translates John chapter 1 verse 14 that God put on flesh. And I, and I love that translation because I think it captures it so well. That God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And that's Jesus. And John's job is to set up God put on flesh. So that when when Jesus started that ministry, as I said before, it would take off and it would be ready to go. But here's, here's the thing. We can often get confused and there's this misconception that can grow that our message needs to be the same as John's message. John called people to to repent and prepare for Jesus. But Jesus calls us to come to him first to be prepared. For some, this is where the sermon needs to stop for you. Where you need to hear that you need to stop 
trying to change before you come to Christ. Change comes when you meet with Christ. You need to stop saying, I'm not good enough. You need to stop saying, I need to get my act together first. I'm not ready yet. My life and heart are too dark. I don't deserve forgiveness. I'm not in that right place yet. And there's this concept that we, that we take and we actually, it's a misconception. It doesn't drive us straight to Jesus. It doesn't make straight paths and we complicate it. And it actually holds us back from get, coming to Christ. It holds us back from intimacy. That we need to be prepared before meeting Christ. Here's the thing. When Jesus came and started his ministry, he went to the poor, the broken, and those who were living in darkness. Some of you feel you're living in darkness right now, and some of you are actually living in physical and spiritual darkness. And Jesus went to these people. They weren't prepared. John had done his job, but when Jesus started his ministry, that message needed to change. And we get this concept that, you know what, we're not worthy. You're right. We're not worthy. And that we're not ready to meet with Jesus. But we rarely are. It's not about the fact that we find ourselves in darkness or dark places. But it's about Jesus coming to meet us there. For forgiveness, you need to get with the person first and then ask for forgiveness. It's not a repent and then come near. It's come near for the kingdom is now here. And when Christ came and had people who started to believe in him, it set up this earthly kingdom, this camaraderie, these people that we now call the church. That's Christ's kingdom here. It is here. And we get this concept that we need to go get cleaned up first before approaching the throne. And where Christ says, just come. It's like for us, if we, we get this wrong, that we want to prep this room for surgery. And then we go back and we want to prep it again. And then we want to go back and prep it again because someone may have touched it or we may have messed it up. And we keep going back. But we don't actually ever go in to the surgeon. If you don't actually meet with the surgeon, you don't get the healing. And we can overemphasize this whole thing of being prepared instead of just going in and getting the healing. Instead of meeting with Jesus. And when this shift happened, when Jesus' ministry started, people started leaving John's ministry, John's following. They went to Jesus. And John's disciples actually came to him and were just like, hey man, this is going on. We should be concerned. And John responds beautifully. It's found in John chapter 3 verse 30. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And that adds to that. I'm just going to read it here. My joy is made complete. When that change happened, when people could finally start coming straight to Jesus. John's message, understood properly, is like a GPS pointing in the direction that we need to go. 
And then when people finally went there, he celebrated. But we can often get so distracted with the messenger, the one who's doing the pointing, instead of actually going to the one he is pointing to. And we can get so messed up on, oh, we, that we're not ready to go to, the, to that destination. John's job was to make it simple and clear for us. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about the one doing the pointing. It's about going to Jesus, as you are. But there's a second group of people that's talked about here in this passage. And you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And as soon as they start, I get this mental picture of kind of coming down the side of the riverbank. John just starts laying into them. Like he's ticked off. Like he's hashtag triggered. Here we go. He's angry. And he starts laying into these guys. And when, when I read this, I think like, man, wow. You're, you go from like serving God, serving Jesus, to now you're like really upset. What's going on here? And these religious leaders, their fault was that they would study the scriptures. And it was a study of the scriptures and not a study in the scriptures. Now what I mean by that is you can actually know a lot about something. Take a pool, for example. You can, get in, you can go around a pool. You can look at the litmus, look at the pH of the water. You can measure the temperature. You can check the filters. But you, and you can know all these things about the water and about the pool, but not actually go in the pool. And there's a difference when you go into the pool. There's this experience as you go into it. And there's a difference between studying something, having a knowledge of something, and actually going in and experiencing it. And these religious leaders, they knew the scripture well. They could tell the pH. They could tell many great, awesome things. They had the first five books of the Bible memorized. But they didn't really experience it. They were never really in it. When they heard the GPS, to put, continue using that analogy, they were the type of people like, oh, that's not proper English. Uh, I don't like the syntax. I don't like how that person's using the grammar. I don't like the way they do their hair. And they start picking the other things apart. And they're not focused about being in the message, they're focused on the message. And they get so focused on the words instead of actually going to where the words are pointing. And so they knew the Bible. The Bible leads completely to and from Jesus. And they knew the Old Testament. And it's supposed to like be this funnel that draws you to this point of Christ. And they knew the scripture. Where were they in the Christmas story? And this struck me as I studied the, the passage and I've studied the Bible for years and that's the joy of studying scripture is you get to discover or rediscover things. And this, this never really hit me before. But where were the religious leaders in the Christmas story? And we can look at this. We can look at the Christmas story. Where they were, they were the one who, ones who told Herod to find Jesus. Herod went to them And they told Herod, ergo, 
Herod told the Magi, the three wise men, they were the ones who knew where to go. Where are they in the Christmas story? They didn't need a Jesus. Like to a loophole of a system, they had their loophole. They relied on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. I tried to get my motorcycle license through a loophole in the system uh, just last week. And uh, it was actually kind of frustrating because I knew the book. And I actually opened the book and showed them the book. It wasn't my full motorcycle license in case you're thinking that. Don't worry, people can't get their full motorcycle license without actually going through like a proper test and whatnot. But to get that first stage, I knew the book. And so I actually showed them the book and they told me no. And so here we have John who, who, who's looking at these guys and like, we know the book. And he's telling them, no. You actually have never really entered into it. You know of it, but that's not going to work for you. You need to actually repent. You need to actually change. You need to actually show that you're different when you repent. And here's the thing. When we study scripture, we can fall into the same sin. Where our pursuit of understanding the Bible is a study of it and not in it. D.A. Carson, a great scholar, calls it this concept, distanciation. Where the Bible can actually just become a pursuit of knowledge and a pursuit of scholasticism and not actually lead to intimacy. Why? Because we never actually enter into it. We know of it, but we actually don't ever allow us to enter in and allow it to shape and change our hearts and convict and change us. It's like having the GPS and being totally distracted by all the settings and all the the pretty stuff in it instead of actually going somewhere with it. That somewhere with it is Jesus. And we can get this concept that we have enough God in our life that we get to a point where we're just the ones telling others, just like the Pharisees, those religious leaders, where to go. Where's the Messiah? Oh, you need to go to church. You go there yourself? Now nah, I've, I've, I've gone enough times. I have enough Jesus. Or maybe you go to church and instead of telling people about Jesus and telling them straight up, you're like, go talk to a pastor. Go talk to your community group leader. Go talk to a priest. And instead of pointing them directly to Jesus ourselves, But here's the thing, in order to actually point people to Jesus ourselves, we need to go there ourselves. If we study scripture right, if we enter in, it leads to intimacy. And it changes us. As we wrap up here, some closing thoughts. One, don't get distracted by the messenger. If you're curious about Christ and you ask someone and they they don't do their hair right or they don't speak the best, that's okay. Everyone's a little weird if we're ready, if we're going to admit it. You don't always have to like the wrapping on the present to accept the gift. 
Second one is don't get distracted by the words. Make sure that we enter into the word. Knowledge does not lead to intimacy. And nor does simply just doing all the right things because we read them in scripture. And if you struggle with the words of Jesus, I'd like to encourage you, dive in. Actually read the Bible and not just what Google says. If there was a fire, would you care what the person like, looked like or how broken their English was? If they were pointing you to the exit? No. You'd just go. The last thing, we need to be willing to point people to Jesus. Look at John. As simple as he could, he prepared others and pointed others to Jesus. And then when Jesus started his ministry, he said, awesome, go to Jesus. Go get healed in your soul. Go learn about him. Go sit under his teachings. Don't waste your time with me. Go see him for yourself. And the best thing is, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This, this, these last two verses in the scripture here of today's passage, for me, are my favorite. Because we don't go alone. Because John's baptism with, was with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer, you have God in you. And if we quiet ourselves well enough, we can actually be guided by him. Be directed by him. And then when we open up the Bible, when we get into it and ask him to speak to us through it, he rarely, rarely does not deliver. Keep it simple. It's about Jesus. Have a great week, guys. Let's pray. God, Help us to not get distracted. Help us to come to you wholeheartedly where we're ready to enter into the word when we enter into the word. Help us to focus on you and to remember it's about you, Jesus. The entire Bible is about you, Jesus. Our lives are to be about you, Jesus. And we are to be ones who point to you, Jesus. Help us to live that out this week. Lord, for those struggling with courage to say what, what you're putting on their hearts, I pray, God, that you'd instill in them boldness. Give them the words to say and the way to say it. Lord, we pray for the right actions, for us to be able to show Jesus to other people, to be the fifth gospel. Lord, we pray for opportunities for those who know you and love you to have those opportunities to show that love to others this week. Thank you for all that you have done for us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.